Hey, welcome to North Point Plus episode 94. Uh, I think this is my first time hosting. Welcome. Host. Or, or it's been such a long time because I did a bad job last time that I, it's been forever. One or the other. It's been a long, long time. Yeah. But I like it because you, you're in the hot seat. I just get to ask the questions. Uh, we'll see. Because <laughs> I, I can ask you the questions back. That's, that's true. That's true. So at 94, we're almost at two years. That's... Yeah, that's pretty fun. Yeah, that is yeah. a cool thing. That is yeah. a cool thing with some others sprinkled in there that we've done too. No, actually, ninety four is ninety four is just North Point, Point Plus. Plus. Wow. Yeah, the North yeah. Point conversations are yeah. different. And there's a plug to listen to North Point conversations yeah. with Herbin Kim Burkett story last week. So you heard it here first uh, at the two year mark. Rick's buying everybody cake. So there you go. Uh, we're gonna be here gluten free cake. <laughs> gluten free. Oh, <laughs> so no we're not one having cake except me. We're not having crackers to celebrate. <laughs> North Point Plus for two years. So anyway, uh, we kicked off a new series this Sunday. You can have gluten-free tortillas. Gluten- oh, man. These just sound worse and worse <laughs> as we go. It's going. It's oh. crashing and burning. Whew, okay. <laughs> we started a new series called Cook It Sticks yep. on Sunday. Uh, we're going to do it all summer long. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, not uh, only in the next five weeks. We're going to do it for five weeks this summer and not all summer long. Six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah, five more weeks. We'll figure out how many we're going to we do. We don't know what get back we're doing. Yeah. yeah. So you talk this past week uh, about Lydia. I did. And a lot of times you said that it was not your main point. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> all the things that weren't my main point. All the things that were just fun to talk about. So could you hit us right now with what was the main point? What did you talk about? Um, God used an unexpected person. Um, so uh, this is actually, I'm diving into one of the questions that you won't get to ask me now. Oh, man. So um, typically we think unexp- uh, crooked sticks are like somebody who is broken or there's something wrong with. Um, I, I wanted to do Lydia be- just because she's unexpected. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a crooked stick in the sense that um, it's not what you would expect. It's not a straight branch kind of a thing. So God plants this church in Philippi, um, and and it comes from this weird encounter that Paul has with a group of women on a riverbank outside this town of Philippi. And Lydia is it. Lydia is Lydia is uh, the first convert from Europe. She is. Um, she, I think she was probably a strong, powerful woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she was rich. She uh, had a business that had her in the in the upper echelons of society, uh, people with lots and lots of money, and uh, and God got to her heart, and she became a follower of Jesus, and the church started. Yeah. Yeah, this was a, a fun one. I really enjoy this particular story because of how like the church in Philippi gets started. It's so drastically different than yeah. like every other city Paul was going into. You know, coming to the right. riverbed, and we have a question kind of similar to that, so I don't want to dive too far ahead, but no, it's just kind of unique. Oh, we don't have to go in order. Oh, we don't have to go in order? Yeah. Oh, man, all these numbers threw me off then. So um, the idea, so I want to find that question, because uh, right here, uh, why did there have to be 10 Jewish men in order to have a synagogue? There was no synagogue when Paul got there, right? Got it. Yeah. This is a really bizarre kind of thing. Um, before I answer that, um, one of the things that I that I didn't have in my notes, um, there is some speculation that... When Paul, in his closing remarks uh, to the church in, at Philippi, mentions people, there are 33 different people mentioned, is, is what I read. Now, I didn't go back and study this. 33 different people. That may have been the whole church in Philippi. Yeah. Well, so we hear a church and we think, whatever your frame of reference is, 100, 200, 500, it may have just been 33, and Paul writes to this group, 
this small group of Christians, and it impacts us still today, which is really cool. So the deal with the with the ten men making up the synagogue, I didn't know this until until working on this message and and learning this. That in uh, I want to say Numbers twenty four somewhere is that right? Numbers fourteen. Fourteen. Numbers fourteen. It talks about the spies going out to spy on the promised land. And um, if you grew up in the churches that I grew up in, we sang a song about 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good. Um, uh, I can sing the whole thing for you, but I won't do it. That's that's another podcast. That, that's a different podcast. That's Special the... songs with Rick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Songs to teach your kids <laughs> with Pastor Rick. Yeah. <laughs> Album drops on Tuesday. Here we that's go. That's right. Um, the... Um, so, so it says it that what the scripture says, what the uh, scripture says is um, that the assembly of Israel, it describes the assembly of Israel as those ten spies who went out and came back with a bad report, and the and the uh, um, Jewish leaders, the Talmud, uh, the what's written in the Talmud, which is like the explanation. Of the Torah, of the of the original law, your your expression is so blank right now. I can't read it. Anyway, so the deal was because ten were the number of the guys who came back, and they voted and said, "No, we're not going in." Um, ten became the number to say that that constitutes an assembly of Jewish believers. So it's from that that they said, "No, you can't have a synagogue unless you've got at least ten men." Yeah, so from the 10 unbelievers, we have to have 10 positive believers. Exactly, now. which is really, yeah. really strange, but but it all drives from the Word. So um, if I can just explain what I said a second ago, the Torah is, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, sometimes that's called the Pentateuch, the, the, the five books of law, the uh, history and law that are there. The Torah, the Talmud, was the writings of rabbis to explain the Torah and say, this is how you live it out. So like the Talmud would say, oh, you can only walk two-tenths of a mile on the Sabbath. Anything beyond that is work, because at that point in time, all the towns were small enough that the synagogue was in the center of the city, the city went out from there, and it had, and the city walls were two-tenths of a mile out from where the synagogue was. So that's what constituted a Sabbath day's journey. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting that these layers of rules yeah. that kind of got put on there. And at first, like, they look very arbitrary, um, but they were well thought out. Right. But it's almost like it, it, over time, I mean, it just became missing the forest through the trees, it feels yeah. like at times. Yeah, and, and I think— And we, Jesus noticed that, right? Like, right, Jesus absolutely. fought back against some of that, And too. we do the same thing. Yeah. So, so yeah. we say, you know, I, this is the environment I grew up in, to say, um, oh, bad things are in R-rated movies— mm-hmm. Good Christians who love Jesus. Um, I, I'm a Christian who loves Jesus. I'm not going to go to an R-rated movie. Therefore, you shouldn't go to an R-rated movie. Right. And and then the next step beyond that is anyone who goes to an R-rated movie is not a Christian. Mm-hmm. That's that same mentality that the that the rabbinic um, leader said they they wanted. They were driven by the right um, heart, the right purpose, but they uh, but they just started spelling things out. 
and it drove people away from God, from yeah, part of God. It's interesting how much that legalism has been a part of something the church has struggled with since even the beginning, right? Right. Like we see so many times in the early letters uh, of pushback against legalism and pushback yep. on those kinds of things. That It's just an interesting thing that that's yeah. a continual struggle that we see in church world even. Yeah, hmm. and uh, we'll get there in a little bit. Yep. That same, that same uh, danger is there with the whole role of women. That, it is. Yeah. It is. So let's do that then. Let's go there. Oh, the we're going there women. early. Let's find some no, transitions. We, we have to tease it so that do people we? watch to all do the way we, to though? the end. We can, we, can, yeah. we can toss it down there. We've got no. a lot of great questions in here. Uh, this one was really fun. I want to actually do this one because it came from Super Hospitable Sarah. Super hospitable, Sarah. Say I that like three it. times. I, like I can't. I'm really already worried about stumbling over my words there when I said it twice. So uh, she asked this question, is it possible to be too hospitable? If you have people over all the time, could it be bad for your family life? What do you think, Jake? Uh, so my family, uh, I, would, I would advocate that they are pretty hospitable. So yeah. like growing up, it was never uncommon for there to be uh, people outside of our family at Easter or Christmas, or like any gatherings. You know, I have like an Uncle Steve who always hooks me up with Reds tickets when I go down there. Yeah. Um, but he's not really my uncle, but I love him to death like he is. Um, he's been a part of it. Uh, the Pauls are another family that we ran around with all the time, and they're like family to us. Um, yeah, the Neils, so like we just always had these people around, um, and I loved it, and I love those relationships. But I will admit there was a piece of me at times that I felt like we missed out on a couple family elements because it was always so large. Right. So like, how? what's that balance? Balance or so, you know. Yeah, I, I think if you neglect your family to take care of others, uh, I don't think that that's God's design. Right. But to protect your family and neglect others is not good God's design either. Right. And as somebody who now, you know, our kids are grown, um, so I grew up in a family that was hospital, hospitable, big family, had a lot of kids. I feel like we were, I still are very hospitable. Um, uh, so looking back on things, I think sometimes we choose not to be hospitable. Um, and our excuse is, oh, it's going to impact my family poorly. Sure. I think looking backwards as well, that if you are hospitable, you can teach hospitality as a principle of how you show your love for Jesus to your kids in a really powerful way. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's been a bunch of years since I, since I told this story in a, in a sermon or made this point in a sermon, but it's interesting to me that I can remember um, we always had people staying at our house that were traveling through doing ministry. Um, so like I can remember musicians and preachers that stayed at our house when they were doing revivals when I was, when I was little, I can remember um, missionaries that stayed in our house. I can remember when our preacher moved to our church and they couldn't get in their house, their family lived with us for, I think, like six weeks or something like that. Um, And that meant that um, I got kicked out of my room. Um, You know, we made lots of accommodations. And it was—I can remember as a kid thinking— it's kind of like Mandy said yesterday. It's time for them to move out. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, as a as an eight or nine year old kid. But the flip side of that is, all of my siblings have all had people live with them. We've had multiple people live with us mm-hmm. for extended periods of time, and so that thing where it's not just what you're taught, but what you what's caught. Yeah. Um, that that uh, commitment to be hospitable and to and to hold everything you have with an open hand. 
that's uh, that's a, a big deal. And I, I think you can teach that into your kids. It's interesting that my kids now um, are doing the same kind yeah. of thing in terms of figuring out how to how to entertain, how to have people into their home and have that be the most natural thing in the world. Right. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's a very cool. Very cool. Hey, let's. Uh, I, there's so many fun questions in here, real quick. Um, I want to save a lot of our Lydia conversation and women in ministry okay. to the end, and just kind of jump around on some of the ones that are one-offs here. Um, so let's 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 have this one. This is fun. Uh, was it wrong to have Timothy circumcised? First Corinthians seven eighteen was this part of the learning curve, them understanding grace. Want to give a little context for that one and explain that one there, Rick? Um, actually, I think that's the job of the host. Is that the job of the host? <laughs> What's circumcision? So where was we? Uh, I did a talk. Um, this was like a year or two ago. Um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Yep. But I didn't describe what a eunuch was, and I had to answer that question a whole lot afterwards. On the podcast. On the yeah. podcast. Yeah. I remember that one. So I've already had the eunuch conversation. You can have the circumcision um, conversation, So Rick. circumcision was a sign between God and his people, um, the Jews, that they were different, and it involved the cutting off of the foreskin of um, any male. And uh, so Timothy had not been circumcised because his father was Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul, it's interesting, it really is a, a pretty interesting context when you look at what happens in Acts 15 and then what happens in Acts 16, that in Acts 15, well, if you go back just a little bit before that, um, Peter has the dream where the food comes down from heaven. God says, take and eat. And, and Peter says, nah, I can't do that. That's that, that, Those foods are unclean. Can't do that. God, I wouldn't do that. It happens again until finally Peter says, okay, God, I get it. The stuff that I thought was unclean, you're saying it's not unclean anymore. And Gentiles can be—he finishes the dream. The guys come from Cornelius and say, hey, come. Cornelius wants to learn about Jesus. Peter goes, preaches, Cornelius is a Gentile, not a Jew, and the Holy Spirit comes, Cornelius uh, is baptized, and the gospel comes to the Greeks, to the, to the Gentiles, not just the Jews. That's a big deal. Well, then Peter hedges uh, chapter what, 13, 14 in, in Acts, and Peter begins to say, oh, no, we need to honor the, all the Judea, Judaic law, all the stuff. And um, and Paul calls him on the carpet and says, Peter, what are you doing? God said the gospel is good for everybody. You can't make people become Jews. So in Acts 15, they have this council, and they say, no, uh, the gospel is for everybody. You don't have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. Well, Acts 16 starts, and Timothy's uh, Paul brings Timothy on, and because, um, because Timothy's not been circumcised, Paul has him circumcised at great personal pain and inconvenience. Um, But he does it because they're going back into an area where there are lots of Jewish Christians, and the Jews in their context, it's it's a big barrier for Timothy to come because they, because they've grown up with this sense of uh, the Jews are God's people and Timothy's not and and Paul just has him circumcised to remove a barrier um and and uh so I I don't think it's a contradiction of what happens in Acts 15 it actually is kind of the flip side of that it it helps us see um what things am I going to draw the line on uh what things am I not willing to sacrifice for people to come to know about Jesus. Right. Um, 
and there's some there's some really cool stuff going on. One of the guys in our life group is um, for relationship with people who don't yet know Jesus is going places that I would never be comfortable mm-hmm. going. But he's going because he cares about the person and wants them to come to know Jesus. Um, he want he wants to f- um, build into that relationship. So Ann Arbor, he's going to Ann Arbor. He's going to Ann that's, Arbor. That's what you're that's, telling me. I would never go there. <laughs> that's so good and worthy of a drink at this moment. I do think it's interesting though. Like you said, it's not a contradiction, and I think a big piece of why it's not is Timothy's mom is Jewish, right? Paul is not asking a Greek, somebody who has no Jewish heritage, Correct. to make this sacrifice to reach Jewish people. He's asking somebody who says, no, this is a part of who you are already. I'm asking you to embrace that so that you can be a missionary in this realm yeah, in a lot and, of ways. And conceptually, I would say, even if his mom wasn't Jewish, if um, it's one thing for Timothy to be willing to do that so that it removes an obstacle, it's another thing for Paul to say, no. Everybody who who chooses to follow Jesus, that's they they have to obey this part of the Jewish law. Right, it becomes a requirement. That becomes legalism. Right, and that's not it. Right, yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. That's a fun one. I like that question a lot. Um, let's see here. Uh, how about this one? Um, why does the narrative change from the third person? They use the word they in verse eight. Yep. So the first person floral floral. It's flowers everywhere. <laughs> The first person plural in verse ten, where they go from they to we. Yeah, it, uh, it's interesting. I, it's uh, it's just an interesting question. And when you read through that, so we know from the beginning of the book of Acts that Luke is the um, is the writer of the book of Acts. So uh, he starts out. Uh, he he the beginning of Luke starts off in the same way that the beginning. The beginning of Luke starts off the same way as the beginning of Acts. Um, so we know that Luke's the author. And he is describing what they do up until verse 7, verse 8. Mm-hmm. And apparently Luke joins them in, I think it's in Troas. I have to go back and look at my notes. Um, and so from that point on, Luke's on the journey. So the language changes from they, describing Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to we, describing Paul, Silas, Timothy, mm-hmm. and Luke. Yeah, and it happens again later on in Acts 2, right? Like, don't they leave him? I, I, man, I should have looked this up beforehand, but I think it's like Antioch or something like that, when they're in there, that it changes from we to they again. And oh. Like, he's left for a period of time. I didn't, I didn't look, so yeah. Yeah, I think there's a piece like, you, yeah. like, so it's like in the middle portion of Acts, it goes from they to we, and then later on it goes back to they again, and it's just in a lot of ways, the whole period that Luke is writing in Acts, he details a lot more of the cities and a lot more of the journeys because he was there. Because he was there, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a cool thing, and I think those all just kind of lend a little bit more to the authenticity of the gospel. I think it adds a ton to the credibility of Scripture because if you were writing and faking it, Mm -hmm. you would keep consistency all the way through. There would be no reason to change without any kind of explanation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's also a hats off to Luke because if I'm jumping into the story, um, it would be like writing in a, a really fantastic character and I would have made much of myself, yeah. but he just like yeah. just changes the, yeah, to changes the plural the pronoun, here. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. What else do we have? This and along ones. came Luke. And along Everything came Luke. Changed. Everybody was so excited. Yeah. Uh, how about this one? Uh, and we've gotten this question a couple times before, but I think it's a really good one. Uh, how do I invest in a disciple making Friendship. What is a disciple making friendship first? Well, hold on a second. Since you're the Ooh, new groups guy, yeah, Jake, yeah. why don't you take this question? Yeah, sweet. Uh, so I will answer my I'll own the question host. then. There you Tell go. Tell us, Jake. What's uh, a disciple making friendship? friendship? Yeah. Uh, so we 
wholeheartedly believe people go further, faster spiritually uh, in the context of being with other people, that you yep. need to have people around you to spur you on, to rebuke you, to correct you, to encourage you, to lift you up, to do all of those kinds of things. And so we would argue and we would say that a disciple-making friendship is those relationships you have that are Jesus-centered, that are going to help you be encouraged, that are going to lift you up, but are also going to you know, maybe smack you on the side of the head and get you right back on where you need to be. You can have lots of friendships, so it's not just any friendship, but it's a Jesus-centered friendship that's helping you pursue and move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I, um, I, the other phrase that I use a lot mm-hmm. is, I think life change happens best in the context of relationship. Yeah. Very rarely does life change happen because you just go out and are by yourself. Right. It, it happens because you're rubbing... You're rubbing shoulders with people in real practical, everyday kind of ways. Um, the the other thing that I would add to a disciple making relationship, um, of a disciple making friendship, I I have there are all kinds of levels mm-hmm. of that. There are kinds that are very involved in the disciple making end, and there are relationships that are also in the intentional. Uh, we talk about intentional disciple making yeah. relationships. Um, the guys that I play racquetball with. Um, one is a committed follower of Jesus. One is a committed agnostic. Um, one is a committed sort of Catholic that that is a committed sort of. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, he he's actually coming to church. Yeah. Um, I, I, he's come to. Oh, this is on the podcast. <laughs> he's coming to church this week, is what he told me. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, and it's because. He's not getting what he needs mm-hmm. in the place where he is in in terms of uh, he's and he's come to check out to see if God's moving at North Point. So um, uh, so that's a cool thing. But but my my racquetball playing with him, the conversations we have, um, they're very normal and natural, mm-hmm. but they're purposeful at all as well to be able to talk about things that matter. Right. And and with the agnostic too, I, um, that friendship, I'm trying to pour into as much as I can because because I care about him and and um we'll just see where it goes. Yeah, there's a little bit of the Jesus a seed scattering analogy. Yeah. In some ways. Yep. In that. And and so it's it's a matter of whether we're in friendships for our benefit or because they're easy or whether we're it, we intentionally pursue relationships for the purpose of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I just want to clarify, that's not to make people a project. Like, I'm right. not going to become right. your friend, Jake, so you become a Christian. Right. Um, but because I care about somebody and care about their their uh, status in eternity, I because I care about their relationship with Jesus, I want to pour into that, that relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. So, what would you say? What are some keys to to healthy investment and disciple making friendship? If I want to make that investment. I want to take that step. Um, and we say investment here, so it could be an investment that I am making or yep. I am receiving. What would you Either say one. is the best way? I, um, I think if I, if I talk in terms of investing, um, that I'm investing in someone, I think that that it becomes you make the relationship about them, uh, um, that that you choose to be interested in the things that they're interested in. You choose to ask questions more than give answers, more than... more than, uh, and, and, and you choose to go to a deeper level than maybe is uh, more normal or natural um, that by asking questions um, and, by, and by going and just being with them 
in times where it's difficult, you know, the, spending the time to go to the, to go to the funeral, to spend the time to talk when, when something crazy happens with their kids and they're, and they're struggling, you know, spend the time to come alongside them to, to, uh, to, as we've talked about before, just when they're, when they're struggling to ask if you can pray for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's all a part of the process, especially in, in the beginning. I think there um, as a relationship deepens and it focuses more on discipleship, there's great opportunity to to just say, "Hey, can we memorize some scripture together? Can we maybe can we read and talk about what we're reading together? Uh, can we? How can we be praying for each other? All of those kinds of things. Um, I, the bottom line, I think we can do all those things without having hard conversations, but having conversations that go to a deeper level." Is is what takes it there, and and I think the, the on both sides, if you're invested in or the investor, being authentic and vulnerable is the, the most critical thing. It's being real. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Taking it to the next level, being vulnerable. That's the hardest part. I think is I am more than willing to hear about your stuff, but yeah, that's right. It takes a little time to get to mine, you know. Yep. Um, let's jump into a, a little bit of Lydia here and the roles of, of women in ministry. What does the Bible say about what women can do, or does it say anything they can't do? Like all that a little bit. Um, but let's start right here. It says lots of times in the New Testament. Women aren't mentioned by name. The woman at the well, the adulterous woman, the woman with the blood disease, the woman who anointed Jesus, so on and so on. Uh, is it a big deal that Lydia is actually mentioned by name? This is, a, uh, this is an interesting, interesting thing that I didn't have a chance to talk about. Um, uh, as I was reading and listening, um, for a lot of women who talk about Lydia, mm-hmm. they'll, they, they have said, uh, oh man, Lydia's a rock star because she her, she's named in scripture. Yeah. That she is so significant because she's named. When you actually look at the original language, Thyatira, where she's from, is from a region that's called Lydia. And in as you translate the Greek, it actually kind of says the Lydian woman. Yeah. Um but she's named I mean we call her Lydia. Yeah. Uh, um so I don't think it's a big thing. So would it be like saying, like, you're from Dayton, Ohio? Yeah. Would it be like just calling you Buckeye? Oh, sure. Or something like yeah. that, or like Ohioan or whatever, because that's where you're from, or, or Dayton yeah. or something like that kind of. Not. Ways. Yeah. The nut. <laughs> Rick's in that. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, I mean, we call, yeah. uh, because of Lydia in Scripture, Lydia is a popular name. Right. And it's been a popular name for hundreds of years. Yeah. Which is really, really cool. But uh, don't make too much of stuff that Scripture doesn't really make a big yeah. deal of. Have you heard? I know there's another philosophy on this that, man, I wish I got to start writing notes more, right? Um, that Lydia is mentioned here as the, the Lydian woman. Yeah. But in Philippians, there's actually uh, the two names that he gives in there. And I cannot Yodia remember. and Syntyche? Yeah, that yeah. maybe one of those two is, is the Lydian oh, woman. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a theory out there that maybe one of those two would have been what we the know Lydian as woman. the Lydian woman in there. And so she oh, could that's be one really of those names. Oh, that's really interesting thought. I don't think we yeah. can prove it. I don't think yeah. there's anything there, but just some speculation. Interesting, like you said, once again, Paul's really potentially a pretty small church in Philippi, but he's given so much space, and the Bible gives so much, too. That's a pretty neat thing. So. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because my take on Lydia is that she is a strong woman. She's yeah. large and in charge. Yeah. Uh, she's... Um, 
she gets stuff done. So let me ask then, if she's large and in charge and so influential here, uh, why does she not use some of that that money, that influence, to help Paul and Silas get out of jail? I, I um, We talked about this before we s- did the podcast earlier today. I, I just think it's an interesting thing. As I was studying this week, I kept thinking, I, you know, I'm reading the passage, reading the passage, reading the passage, doing the work, and I thought... There is this woman, the city is, like, to me it's helpful to think, I said it, all of Philippi fits inside Breslin Center. If I go to Breslin Center, we saw people that we knew when we went to see Michigan State and Ohio State play um, this year. Um, You interact with people, because 15,000 is a lot, but it's not really a lot yeah it's it's not like a hundred and five thousand in the horseshoe um, <laughs> they will never let us do a podcast together again, again with all these buckeye um, jokes <laughs> i wish you could see sylvia rolling her eyes at this moment um so so she knew people yeah. uh, like she walked and interacted with the people who were the movers and the shakers in philippi she couldn't have had the job that she did without those kind of connections. Sure. And so as I'm as I'm reading through this passage, I kept thinking, it is really interesting that she chose that well, that she didn't get involved when Paul and Silas were being arrested mm-hmm. and when they were being flogged and when they were being thrown in prison. You would think that someone with that kind of influence would take a step and say, Come on now, this isn't right. And, and and jump in. And instead what we see in verse 40 is, no, the believers are meeting at her house. And and we don't know if they're praying, you know, if they're meeting together to pray. Uh, we don't know exactly what the context of that is, but but Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke go back to her house after after Paul and Silas get out of jail, and, um, and, and they're there. It's just interesting to me that she... That scripture doesn't record that she injects herself into that mess. Yeah. That she has enough wisdom and trust in God that that God's going to take care of it, and God does some pretty amazing stuff with right. them in jail. Right. You mentioned uh, there that she had the people at her house. Yeah. Uh, we actually had a question here from Lydia, uh-huh. seller of purple goods. The Lydian woman. The Lydian woman here. It said, if Lydia started a church, mm-hmm. wouldn't that mean it's okay for women? To be pastor, so was Lydia like the pastor? This is this is like the transition, isn't it? Oh yeah, we're getting into it now. We're getting into it. This is fun. Um, just because she was the first convert doesn't mean that she was in charge. It's not a first come, first serve basis. No, but it doesn't mean that she wasn't in charge. Sure. Um, I'm I'm just going to dive in to this, and we let's can go take off and go from there. Um, the word. Pastor in our culture has a certain connotation. We've talked about this before. Oh, pastor, my pastor. Reverend Rick Rubel. Thank you very much. Um, So it has connotation of a position, um, a title, and, and office, if you will, in the church. The word pastor in Scripture does not that it doesn't that doesn't equate the word pastor in scripture means that it's a shepherd it's somebody who takes care of a flock and so th- that that word itself means that they're caring for the spiritual needs of people that are in their influence 
was Lydia a pastor? I think that she probably was very concerned about uh, taking care of the spiritual needs of the people yeah. in her house, in her household, in the church. Who who knows what that is? Um, I would. Uh, um, we can spell this out in in a second um, with greater detail. But I would say, I want North Point to be full of pastors. Yeah, men and women, because they're shepherding the groups of people that are in their influence. So I, I think every life group leader is a pastor. I, I would say that the women that we have on staff that are taking care of the spiritual needs of, of, uh, of segments of the, of the church are pastoring. I would yeah. say that you're a pastor, that Andy's a pastor, which is why when we go back to the conversation that we had before, mm-hmm. I don't like being called pastor because the connotation of the title, because Jesus said, woe to those guys who, who are all about the titles. Right. I, I don't want the title, but I, but I, wanna, I want to humbly do the function that God has called me to in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can call me Minister, Reverend, or Rev- yeah, you can call me Rick. That's fine. <laughs> um, so, so the so the brouhaha that's going on right now with the Southern Baptists, yeah, um, is all about the use of the title, which is really really interesting because it's a title. They're they're not talking about the function; they're talking about the title. Yeah, um, and the churches that have been removed from fellowship. It's because they use the title. The 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 women, uh, the churches that have those women in those positions, as long as they don't call them pastor, they're okay. Right. But if they call them pastor, then they're not okay. That to me, it just misses the point um, yeah. because it's not for all of us in the kingdom. It's not about title. It's about function, and and we are all called to minister. Um, to whatever area God calls us to minister to, and He and He calls us to shepherd the people that are in our sphere of influence, and um, and that's really what it's about. Mm-hmm. So, so where are we at North Point? Yeah, I was going to say. So, there's a couple of questions that we had in yeah. here, and I'm going to kind of combine the two because um, I think they go together. One was, are there any roles uh, that a woman cannot fill? And then the other was, what is North Point's position on the role of women in the church? I would hope yeah. <laughs> they would con- they would go inside. Right. Uh, that's not to say we get everything right, but to the best of our knowledge and. Uh, going back to scripture and what it has yeah. to say and then looking and seeing how to apply it appropriately. Uh, what would you say, according with North Point, according to the scriptural view, what is it that is the role of women in the church? Yeah, let me let me preface this yeah. again um, to contextualize that's so this is consistent with what we say about North Point mm-hmm. just in general. Um, this is one of those things that 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 at a leadership level we have really kind of landed on. Yeah. Um, it, it's there are people who disagree with the position that we've taken, and um, and we don't disfellowship people because they have a different position. Right. Guard, it's our guardrails, yeah, right? It, yeah, it's our yeah. guard guardrails, authority of scripture and unity of believers. Mm-hmm. So so we would say for us, this is this is where we are. If you're a part of North Point, you don't have to agree with that, but you might be uncomfortable. Uh, um, yeah. And some and some people are so uncomfortable that they leave because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did I explain that sufficiently in terms of? Groundwork. I think so. Um, so we, uh, at the elder level, at the leadership level, even as we've talked about it as staff, 
um, in First Peter, you no, know, in First Timothy three and in Titus one, it describes the the um, qualifications for an elder, mm-hmm. um, for uh, the spiritual leaders of the church, and in those lists of qualifications, it says a husband of one wife. Mm-hmm. Where we've landed is to say that describes, that has to describe a male being the husband of one wife. Mm-hmm. Um, that would disqualify a woman from serving as an elder in the church. Um, now, pa- let me pause before I go to the next step in that and just say there are others who look at that scripture and say, yeah, that's what it says, but the concept that's really there is that it's a person committed to their spouse. Mm -hmm. So that could be a woman who's married to a man. The principle that's there is that they're not, you know, they're not run around, that kind of thought. Could be because it talks about your ability to lead your family. Right. Um, So we would say elder, the elder role is a male defined role by scripture. And we would say at North Point that the lead pastor role is um, is automatic. The lead pastor is automatically an elder. That their um, that their that the, that those two functions are tied together inherently. That there's no way you can be lead pastor without being an elder. And so that a lead pastor is automatically an elder. Therefore, the lead pastor is going to be male. Mm-hmm. So we would say, uh, again, as you kind of just break that down, we would say that there is there are no roles within the church that are um, off limits for women except for the role of elder. And by proxy, then, that would mean lead pastor as well. Um, I think that that's completely consistent with scripture i um i think it's consistent with what we do we have we have uh, female life group leaders we yeah. have ministry leaders we have women serving in all kinds of roles and and i think we really don't think too much in terms of gender as it relates to function except in the, in the um role of elder yeah i do think that you brought up one point as you were talking about first timothy uh three and the qualifications of overseer uh, and it says uh in verse two therefore an overseer or elder uh must be above reproach the husband of one wife and then it gives some other um, pieces in there of some qualifications and things um and like you said for some they would say oh and that's a that's a principle at play right um I, and, and I'll, I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for Northwood yeah. necessarily on this one. How's that? Uh, but right after qualifications of elder comes qualifications of a deacon. Right. Um, and what's interesting there is in, it gives a lot of similar qualifications. Yep. Some are a little different. But it does talk about, uh, in verse 11, it says their wives likewise. But a lot of churches will have deacons and deaconesses. Right. And have women being in that role too. So one of the, the arguments against is to be able to say, hey, over here it says husband of one wife, but down here it says talks about the wives as well. How come you can be a deaconess, but you can't be an elder? And and I'll give my, I have a rebuttal for that. Go for it. Um, and and for me that's that it's in verse eleven. If you, if you want to look it up, First Timothy chapter three verse eleven uh, says their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober minded, faithful in all things. Um, that phrase their wives likewise can also be interpreted uh, simply as women. Likewise, like the word that is used there oh. is commonly used for 
women. It's not just yeah. for, for wives. And so I think personally, um, the interpretation, if you were to break down the Greek, uh, sits better to be able to say that verses 8 through 10 are talking about men as deacons. And, and verse 11, it jumps into women's as deacons. Yeah. And then verse 12, it's both. It's like, so here's qualifications that you would commonly need to see for men. These are the things that you're really looking for to fill that, yep. that deacon role. These are the things you're looking for uh, from women to kind of fill that deaconess role. And then here's some stuff that's really for both of them. And as far as deacon goes, and I know some people are like, well, if you're going to North Point, you're like, well, what's a deacon? How come we don't have deacons? We don't, Should yeah. we have deacons? Uh, we we have, do. We do. We don't call them deacons. <laughs> we don't call them. Uh, but they serve functionally as a deacon would serve. You know, life group leaders are great examples of that. Um, there are people uh, who are serving in lots of capacities. You can be, uh, I would say, probably even a children's, and, and the children's department doing some of this stuff and, and be considered fulfilling the role of a deacon in a lot of ways. Um, I just wanted to bring that up because when I was yeah. trying to wrap my mind around this and trying to find consistency to be able to say, okay, does North Point's view fit in? What does my view fit in on this kinds of stuff? Um, and that to me was a really big thing to recognize that uh, verse 11 is not always, that word is not always interpreted as wives. And that right. even in this context, it may be best interpreted as women. And to me, it's going, okay, that makes a lot more sense between this whole passage, trying to look at the entirety of Scripture instead of picking out verse by verse, but looking at the whole context. Do you have your Bible open? I do. Go to Romans 16.1. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, there's a, a big-picture principle that's mm-hmm. critical. Scripture's never going to conflict with itself. Right. Um, and so... Uh, I think I, I'm going off the top of my head. This What's six, fun. Uh, Did I hit right? Phoebe? Phoebe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Romans 61, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at, oh gosh, Centure. Centure yeah, I'm not going to even... Okay. Yeah. Um, so so here's, here's the thing that makes sense of that. The word that's translated deacon is actually, it's like when I was talking about baptism, um, baptizo. It's a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos. Right. Diakonos is the word that's translated servant, or it's translated deacon. Again, we get, we just, I think, it's the titles way is where caught, it gets the struggle. Uh, yeah, we lose mm-hmm. track of stuff with titles mm-hmm. um, and, and think more about the function. So um, I think that, we, again, we have a church full of Deacons and yeah, deaconesses, absolutely. people who serve in specific areas. Yeah, uh, Brian Stoddard, he is our deacon of painting. <laughs> Fantastic at it, Brian. And and, 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 and ushing. You know, yeah. he he, he yeah. just does. He serves in that way. Um, Everett uh, Everett Kramer, yeah. Uh, Everett Kramer is he is functionally yeah. a servant that helps take care of the facility and the grounds and all that kind of stuff. Sue McKay is our deaconess of blood drives. <laughs> she is. And first impressions team. Yeah. 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 Um, so it, it really is about, okay, when you understand it's not about title, but it's about function, yeah. how's, how's that fit? And so um, for people who say, oh, no, deacons can only be men, it, it is, uh, that's problematic because of... Right because of that scripture, because it says Phoebe is a diaconess, um, a, a deaconess. Right. Um, and so you have to say, how do I make sense of all of scripture together, knowing that scripture is not going to contradict itself? Sure. So then let's jump into this, uh, kind of the other side of the coin that comes commonly. Yeah. And we got a great question here from Tabitha on this that says, uh, was Lydia teaching the word like a pastor? Was she leading the church in her home? And what does the Bible say about women teaching men? 
Good, good question, boy. How much? Mm-hmm. Uh, where are we at time-wise? Oh, we're gonna do the. We get three more hours on this podcast. Okay. Everyone's everyone's so on the edge of their seat. Um, I can feel it right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> please don't leave the church over this. Uh, um, so guardrails. Um, we have guardrails. Yeah, we do have guardrails. <laughs> so, um, so Lydia. It doesn't say that Lydia was teaching. Right. Um, it doesn't describe that at all. We so we don't know. So everything is an argument from silence to say she didn't teach or to say she did teach. We just don't know. Right. Um, now, if I go back to um, the principle that, that we would say God has equipped women to serve, mm-hmm. that, that, the, that the only role biblically um, where we've landed is to say a woman can't serve as, a, as an elder. Under the oversight of the elders, a woman can do anything. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, the elders task a woman to do whatever. So if the elders said, hey, we we would like for a woman to speak um, uh, for this purpose on Sunday morning, I think that that would be completely biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, the place that we would draw the line is, is not in terms of teaching on Sunday morning. It would be um, the role that that function of lead pastor. Now, how does that fit with the rest of what Scripture says when it when Paul says, "Let women keep silent in church"? Right, which is an interesting thing because that's First Timothy two, right? And qualifications for an elder and a deacon are First Timothy three, right? So these are all kind of packed together in some ways. Yeah. So what do you, how do you make that happen? So so I think if you go back and look at what's there in First. First Timothy two, um, and and so you know this is a um, before I came ten years ago, elders did a deep dive into this. We've done at least two deep dives into this question since I've been here to talk through it. Um, as best I understand Scripture, um, there's some problems with with um, applying that literally to say let a woman keep silent in church mm-hmm. because of all the rest of scripture and scripture doesn't conflict with itself right. it's it's not going to it's not going to um, be contrary to itself i think that there is a that there's a sense there i need to look at it um, i got gotcha. you thanks um, where as uh, okay talks among yourselves while i yeah i was just curious if you need to zoom in you can zoom uh, in to make the text bigger you know Different eyes and age, just taking jokes, and he's not even uh, attention yeah, over here. Well, that's because I'm laughing reading, on this side, though. Scripture. That was worth it um, right there to make Sylvia have to hold in that laugh over there. But this is an interesting thing because uh, with the passages being so close together, uh, I think a lot of the the conversation is around context. Yes, you know, and Thanks. and so are we looking at historical context in First Timothy two? Is 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 Timothy is Paul talking about that particular church? That, yes. Is he talking about that there? And then First Timothy three is he really setting up for more church life? Is that contextualized? Like, how do we interpret to know what is the proper context to put on to yeah. any scripture, let alone First Timothy? Yeah. So, so here's here's what I just need to kind of refresh in my mind as we talked about. Um, context, whether it's a literal application mm-hmm. or cultural context kind of thing. If we say First um, Timothy two uh, eleven, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. If we if we say that that is literal and that is um, comprehensive, yeah. it covers every aspect of the church. Then we also have to say um, verse nine. 
A woman should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. No problem with that. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but with what's proper for women who profess godliness. So if you're gonna if you're gonna apply eleven and twelve across the board for women in every sense, yeah, you best take out your earrings. Uh, you can't wear any gold, any jewelry. You can't have a. You can't wear any clothes that uh, costly attire. What's that? Uh, uh, clothing that costs more than thirty dollars. Mm. Um, it it becomes problematic to take that one section that Paul's talking about and to and to paint with a big broad yeah. brush. There, I think. I think you look at all of Scripture and say, okay, how do we make sense of all this? Philip had seven daughters that prophesied. Uh, It talks about that in the book of Acts. You can't say women can't speak in church and say that that's consistent with the way that God worked at that point in time. So, again, let me just say this is messy stuff, and people come to all kinds of different conclusions on it. The simplest thing that that I would say is this. Um, For us at North Point, we've said... um, the elder positions, a male position. Lead pastors um, going to be a part of the elders, uh, just by definition. So we're not going to have a female lead pastor, but women are women really are free to minister under the authority of the eldership in in whatever ways that God calls for the for the function of the church mm-hmm. for the church to function most effectively. Nice, yeah. So here's what I've learned from there. Uh, this coming Sunday. We're going to have uh, our youth guy, Andy, come out with a bucket and tell all the women they have to take their jewelry off before they nice. can enter in yeah. because we're applying Scripture. That, well, that's Old Testament, woodenly. too. They yeah. they gave their earrings and stuff, but then they built a golden calf. Then they calf. built a golden calf, and so it didn't go so that. well yeah, after that, that one. So. Less, less than ideal. <laughs> uh, looking through here, I'm looking at our questions, trying to make sure we didn't miss anything. Um, yeah, I got I got two more here for you. Yeah. Uh, this one came from Ethan. It says, was Lydia inherently a crooked stick? Or was she just different than what Paul was expecting? It seems like she was an obvious pick for God, given how her influence and position allowed her to ultimately support the Philippian church. Yeah, I, um, I think, Ethan, great question. I think you hit it right on the—that you hit the nail on the head. I don't think that Lydia was necessarily uh, broken. Um, I think that she was strategic. It was just a different strategy than Paul typically would have used. It was not— I think what he anticipated. Yeah, I like I, I just picture Paul and Silas and and uh, Timothy walking on that on that riverbank, looking for a group of believers, looking to see who they can connect with. Believers like anybody who believes in a, in a God, yeah, in God, yeah, but and, doesn't have Jesus. Yeah, and there is uh, although it says that Lydia worshipped God, mm-hmm. um, there's some folks who think Lydia was was. Um, Probably worship uh, that she could have worshipped multiple gods. That yeah. that she was really kind of a syncretist and, mm-hmm. and brought everything together. Um, so I, I just think it was not what Paul expected. Right. But God knew what needed to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I just think yeah. it's remarkable that he has this dream and this Macedonian man says, "Hey, you got to come help us," and it's a woman. Yeah. That's so um, good. Yeah, good yeah, stuff. So that's cool. Uh, and then uh, one more question in here, and it simply says, "No questions about baptism." <laughs> What's up with that? How come hey, we didn't uh, get any questions about baptism? Um, uh, I'm I'm a little surprised. Yeah. But, what was it uh, you talked about with uh, with baptism there? Like, just refresh for anybody. Well, um, I I think. Uh, 
baptizo. Bap- yeah, I, I, I watched the message to, to get that <laughs> stuff. I would, I would just say this. I would reinforce that in the New Testament, baptism was the way that people said yes to Jesus. Mm-hmm. That um, culturally, we've adopted um, a model that really comes from the revivalism era of the late 1800s and early 1900s, where mm-hmm. there were big meetings, they would offer an invitation, people would walk down front, they would pray, um, they would give their lives to Jesus. Um, it, that's the model that we've kind of adopted 100, 150 years later. That's not the biblical model. The biblical model is, uh, if you read through the book of Acts, in um, in Acts 2, Peter preaches um, and says, you killed the Messiah, and people say, what do we do? And Peter says, repent, be baptized. And and 3,000 people are baptized that day. A couple chapters later, it talks about 5,000 people, you know, the church, church grows. Um, Ethiopian eunuch that you talked about, um, he's he's being taught from the Old Testament, from, right. um, from Isaiah, and says, hey, there's water, why can't I be baptized? And they go down into the water, and he's baptized. Um, Paul, Saul, when he's converted on the road to Damascus, you know he's he's blind. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. Ananias comes to him, and he's baptized, and the scales fall off his eyes, and and he starts this life of ministry. Um, Cornelius, we talked about in Acts nine, um, he's baptized. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes down on him, and and they say, hey, he's got to be baptized. Uh, takes that step. Lydia and her household's baptized. Philippian jailer, Acts sixteen right. later, is baptized. That over and over and over again. Um, the model that we see lived out is that when people said yes to Jesus, they were baptized. And um, and the thing that's interesting to me when you when you really study that passage in Acts 16, it only makes sense to think that Lydia was baptized right there in the river. Yeah. Um, because yeah. because she says, "Hey, come stay at my house," or don't you believe that what happened just happened? Right. Um, Such a good <laughs> argument, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, so, so I would just encourage people, if that's a step that you've not taken, um, don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about, um, don't worry about anything. Just take that step. I, and I think first Peter three, it's a passage I quote a lot is such a great, uh, scripture because it says, it talks about baptism as the pledge of a pure conscience towards God. Um, that there's this sense in which you say, God, I don't get this. What's the difference in getting wet? You know, I can go swimming, I can take a bath. What's the difference? But if you say that that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. Right. And when we do, there is this sense of, I've obeyed. I've done yeah. I've done what you've called me to do, and, um, and there's something really cool in there. And uh, most every person that I talk to, after the after they're baptized after they're immersed, it's kind of like, "Hey, how are you doing? This is just the most incredible feeling mm-hmm. because the symbolism that's involved in that immersion it really does the death, burial, and resurrection of christ is um it it just becomes very vivid and alive in a really, really cool way um we do have a uh we have a video that i teach about that that's yeah. about 30 35 minutes long something like that and if you want to if you want to just kind of go through it's it's more than just about baptism it really is about how you have the right kind of relationship with god and um and so go to the website go to the app and you can you can jump on there and um and we would love to help you take that step yeah, very cool. So besides uh, getting baptized and baptism videos to watch, anything else uh, you want to talk about? Anything coming up or anything like that? 
Um, oh, this is like commercial time, right? Right. This um, is where you get hey, a... Hey, we shared some stuff yesterday that's that's uh, brand new. So yeah. uh, a couple of weeks in July, July 16, uh, we're going to do lunch on the lawn. And that's a great opportunity to just build some friendships with people. So plan on bringing your lunch or buying lunch at the food truck that day. Just plan hanging around after second service. That'll be a cool thing. And then we're hosting a concert, something that... We've not done in at least 10 years, maybe 15 years. Yeah. Um, that's kind of cool. Micah Tyler is the name of the, the Christian artist. Um, I'm, I, he's supposed to be great, right, Sylvia? <laughs> Sylvia loves him. Jenna <laughs> loves him. Um, so come and invite your friends. It, it really does become a, a great tool to just um, say to some friends, mm. hey, we're doing a concert. Uh, at my church, why don't you come? And and that afternoon, there's going to be like from the radio station. They're they're they are the ones who are um, promoting and and kind of hosting the concert. So there's going to be bounce houses and that kind of stuff for the kids to come and just hang out before the concert ever starts. Very cool, very cool. Well, hey, uh, we appreciate you spending this last uh, hour here with us has on the podcast. Yes, it is. Man, <laughs> hey, do us a favor though: uh, like, comment, share, all of that good stuff, and then be sure to submit more questions for uh, week two as we're coming up. I do. There is one last thing I want to say. <laughs> I recognize that any time that we talk about stuff that um, people have different opinions on. Um, that it's really easy to say that is so wrong and I'm not, uh, I can't stand it. Um, talk, come talk to us about it yeah, first. Sure. Uh, but you know, if, if you think, oh boy, I'm not, I'm not sure North Point's the right place for me. I, I gotta believe North Point is the right place for you. Yeah. And, and know that, uh, again, our big, big guardrails, our big picture stuff, the authority of scripture, we can, we can come to different opinions on things as long as it's based on scripture as long. Um, yeah. And, and that's okay. It's okay to be on different pages. Yeah. Um, Cause we're on different pages on. Yeah. Some on some different things. Well, my page has changed on this particular issue uh, over the years as well. So, uh, and I hope as I, as I dive more into scripture, it changes me. Right. I don't want my views to be forced into Scripture. I want Scripture to change yes. me and my views. And as long as I'm going back to it, I think that's going to happen. It's already happened, and I'm hoping to continue to come to Scripture with that same humility to yeah. learn from it, to learn from other people. Why is it you think Scripture says it? Why is it? Is it rooted? Figure those things out, uh, and we grow closer. That's that whole, in, I don't know, intentional disciple-making friendship Yeah, there piece. you go. There you go. So We'll wrap as many things in a bow <laughs> as we can. Yeah, there as you we go. Finish. Episode 94. Four. Episode 94. So there you go. Uh, thanks again, and we will see you next week.